0: Hi there, thanks very much for joining us once again for yet another of our Room in Room podcasts. It's great to have you with us. Look, first up to introduce myself for those of you who have not listened in to one of these podcasts before. My name's Charlotte Westwood. Uh, I'm a veterinarian and nutritionist based here in Lincoln, Canterbury in New Zealand with our PGG Rights and Seeds team. Well, believe it or not, this is our 22nd podcast now in this series. As we head towards the end of 2022, it's kind of cool to be finishing off on our 22nd podcast. Now look, in this latest podcast, we're going to take a bit of a short break away from, I guess, what's been a strongly terry cow nutrition focused number of podcasts over the last few weeks. So just to mix it up, this latest podcast is going to be and unashamedly sheep-focused podcast. So look, if you're into dairying, I can feel your audible groan listening into this, but hey, if you're into sheep, uh, maybe a breeder finisher, or perhaps um, full-time lamb finisher, or if you're a rural professional who uh, works alongside our wonderful sheep people, hey, this podcast is for you guys and girls. So let's get this underway Obviously, recording this right at the end of twenty twenty two and for some of you out there, you're probably heading away for a bit of a summer break with the kids off to the beach or uh, lakes or wherever and I have no doubt that you've probably packed into your bag somewhere some sunscreen cause of course sunburn is something unpleasant that we should always really you know set out to avoid, not only for us um, you know kids and everything so. It seems timely to focus this podcast on a closely related topic to sunburn that affects us. Now, we're going to talk about a specific condition that can influence um, or affect young lambs particularly during their first summer of life. And although this condition looks a lot like sunburn, it's actually quite, quite a nasty condition. And it's a condition that we call photosensitization. Now, you might have heard of photosensitization by a whole range of different names, possibly a, a number of uh, colourful descriptive terms that are probably inappropriate to mention here, given we are a family show, of course. But look, seriously, photosensitization is a challenge that can sometimes affect lambs. Cattle as well, we'll talk a little bit about cattle as we go. When these animals consume uh, annual forage crops uh, or forages in general, and even sometimes perennial forages over um, the summer months, and sometimes in the spring, sometimes in early autumn as well. So a lot of different names for photosensitisation. Uh, we shorten it up just as photo. Sometimes people will just call it sunburn just because it does look a bit like a sunburn affects us. Uh, or if this happens on annual forage crops, um, specifically brassicas, some of you might call this condition or have heard of the condition as rape scold, uh, sometimes shortened up to scold, but of course not to confuse scold as a term uh, with foot scold uh, leading into foot rot. So, yeah, a lot of confusing names, um, but we'll call it photosensitization. Now the reason we'll stick with the term photosensitization and as far as brassicas go we're not going to call it rape scold just because rape scold really isn't an ideal term to use um, for brassica associated uh, primary photosensitization because that very same condition can occur on many different brassica species other than forage rape. So we don't really like that term, rape skull, because, you know, it's not only on rape, right? And uh, it can affect lambs that graze other forage brassicas, you know, such as leafy turnip, uh, brassica. But yeah, as we say, this photosensitization condition is seen most often in young lambs, and as I said, during their first summer of life. Now, the sunburn-like skin damage on these lambs in their first summer can cause damage to the ears, sometimes to the face uh, when there's not a lot of wool on the face and sometimes also damage, uh, of course, skin damage along the rump of the lamb and the midline of the backs or even other parts uh, of the lamb that we'll go into in more detail. So what we'll do, we're going to break this latest podcast into five different sections and what we'll do is provide the time uh, at the beginning of each of these sections, just so that if you're interested in just one part of this podcast, you can fast forward or skip through to specific sections that you're most interested in and skip the bits maybe that you're less interested in. So five sections. Part one. First up, we're going to define the two broad types of photosensitisation that we see in ruminant uh, species of animals here in New Zealand. And at a broad, sort of higher level, we define this as either primary photosensitization or secondary photosensitization. Now, when we explain that, hopefully this will make more sense because you'll know this. You've just heard different words and, and terms used to explain these. Part two of the podcast, we'll uh, cover off in a bit more detail the clinical signs that we might expect to see with photosensitization. Then we'll uh, move on to part three that'll cover off the various crop types that can be associated with photosensitisation, but as well as that, we'll discuss some of the weed species your animals might access, inadvertently that can also cause photosensitisation. The fourth part of this podcast, will talk about some risk factors for photosensitisation and why we see this condition in some seasons, but not others. Now, part four will focus more on those risk factors as influences brassica-associated primary photosensitisation, but hey, we'll fling a little bit of discussion around that as well. And finally, um, to wrap this podcast up in part five of it, we're going to cover just briefly what to do if you do see photosensitisation in your lambs or cattle uh, as well. I guess our usual disclaimer here with the Room and Room podcasts is that the points that we cover here today about photosensitisation are, of course, just in a general sense, I guess. And what we cover today is never intended to of course replace the advice of your very own veterinarian who uh, you really should contact if you have concerns around photosensitization in your grazing animals you know podcaster uh, just just general advice and never intended to uh, over, override i guess what your vet is telling you to do or suggesting for you to do Hey, look, before we carry on with this podcast, I'm going to acknowledge and give a big shout out and thanks to two, to two um, very clever people who have done a heap of research work on the topic of primary and sensitisation. Now, first uh, shout out and big thanks uh, is to the very well-known veterinary pathologist recently retired from Massey, Dr. Mark Collette. Now Mark will be very well known to many New Zealand vets, with Mark teaching a lot of those as they made their way through vet school, and really to acknowledge that Mark is our number one guru in this topic of photosensitisation, not only nationally here in New Zealand, but internationally. So big special thanks uh, to Mark for patiently teaching me so much about this subject over the last eight or nine years. He he really is uh, amazing with the knowledge that he has in this space. And then the very clever other person uh, who's been great and taught me a lot about uh, photosensitization and lambs particularly is a workmate of mine at PG Rights and Seas called uh, Gemma Box. And before she was married, she will be known to many of you as Gemma Payne. And Gemma recently completed her entire PhD on this topic of primary photosensitization and brassica-fed lambs. So yeah, thanks Gemma, big shout out, lots of hard work on your PhD and thanks for sharing so much of your learnings with all of us in the Pejagy Rights and Seeds team and of course uh, to the broader industry. So in the meantime, uh, sit back, uh, do the usual cup of tea, grab a beer, uh, keep on doing the chores, driving the car, whatever you're off to and we'll get part one of this latest uh, uh, podcast underway for you. We said briefly before primary or secondary photosensitisation. Now you're going, what the hell are you talking about, Charlotte? What do, what do we mean? Well, look, first up, um, it's to do with whether your lambs or cattle have a very healthy normal liver function in play, or in fact, whether there's been some liver damage and If the liver is nice and healthy, we define that as a primary photosensitization. If, on the other hand, you've got liver damage, for example, due to facial eczema or sporodesmin toxicity, and we get photosensitization, then that's a secondary photosensitization. First up, primary. Now, with primary, where the liver is absolutely perfectly normal and healthy, Within a plant or a weed species, there's going to be what we call a photodynamic agent or there's a range of other terms, phototoxic, but let's say a photodynamic agent, which in other words is a compound that when uh, that compound is part of a plant, is eaten by our ruminant animals, it uh, is broken down in the rumen and ends up in the blood supply and that compound or breakdown metabolites of that compound flow around the animal and when that photodynamic compound arrives at a skin surface where there's not a lot of hair present uh, or fleece that compound then meets sunshine through the skin and in the presence of sun well it's not even sun sometimes it's just uh, overcast conditions we get local damage to the skin tissues So that's primary photosensitisation. There's a compound, sometimes we know what it is, sometimes we don't, depending on what type it is, that reacts at the skin surface and causes primary photosensitisation, no liver damage. On the other hand, to contrast that, I guess, we've got secondary photosensitisation that, as we say, it's to do when the animal has liver damage. This liver, well, we've got a liver, you've got a liver, uh, animals have a liver. Now, these livers are very important parts of the gastrointestinal tract and in that inside the gut, that liver's doing oh, a whole heap of different stuff, maybe 500 different tasks to keep our ruminant species in good shape. And if, if our livers are working well, of course, keeps us very healthy and uh, able to process and do a lot of different things. Now amongst all the very busy stuff that a ruminant animal's liver does is taking care of the broken down bits and pieces of the green stuff in plants that's called chlorophyll. So chlorophyll makes our green plants green and when animals eat green plants, so that might be some lovely ryegrass, it might be some clovers, might be a brassica crop, the chlorophyll in that plant is broken down in the rumen to kind of yield um, breakdown products, like a whole lot of different products. And the end stage of that breakdown process is called phytoporphyrin. Now for (laughs) vets like me that have been around uh, a little bit too long, we used to call phytoporphyrin another compound called phyloerethrin. So you might, um, or if you Google something around like um, facial eczema, sporidesma toxicity, toxicity, uh, you'll see some older papers still calling the breakdown product of chlorophyll called phylorethrin. But yeah, apparently the new term is phytoporphyrin, just when we spent all that time learning what ph- phylorethrin was. Now, when the liver of our animals is fit and healthy, and in good order, the liver cleverly removes this phytoporphyrin stuff out of the blood, and excretes it um, out of the liver via what's called the bile, it gets dropped into the gallbladder and then out into the intestines, and that uh, phytoporphyrin is then dumped out the back end in the dung. So fit, happy, healthy liver, life is good. On the other hand, if we get specific types of damage to the liver, particularly things that might damage the bile ducts. So it's like the outside of the hose pipe, I guess, of a hose. Well, the bile ducts, if they get damaged, can get all blocked and and inflamed. And the ruminant animal can no longer effectively get rid of that phytoporphyrin out into the intestines and then out into the dung. So instead of that, with these secondary photosensitizations, instead we get phytoporphyrin that kind of just floats around in the blood. And this is where the photosensitization comes from, in that phytoporphyrin is one of these photodynamic agents or compounds that we mentioned before. So yeah, when that arrives at the skin of the animals, where there's not a lot of hair or fleece or pigmentation, like black pigmentation, so it's white skin, that phytoporphyrin works just like some of the primary photodynamic compounds we're going to talk about shortly and causes skin damage. Now, that's a bit of an overlong ramble. If you've also fast-forwarded through that, I'm not going to be offended. Um, and we will come back to a little bit more information about secondary photosensitization in more detail. Connor, like mid to late summer uh, in New Zealand, so that'll be sort of February, March, April next year, when... The most common cause of secondary photosensitization here in New Zealand, which is facial eczema or sporadism toxicity, can be really rife um, in warmer regions of New Zealand and not limited to New Zealand, but also in some parts of Australia for our Australian listeners too. So just keep an eye out, uh, ear out for that podcast when we release that um, during that, that uh, second or third or fourth month of 2023. But anyway, enough about secondary photosensitisation, back to primary photosensitisation, where it's not to do with liver damage. We're up to part two now, and we're going to have a little bit of an explore, I guess, about what are the clinical signs that we might see in animals that are affected by primary photosensitisation. Well, look, as we've already mentioned, we most often see these kind of sunburn-like signs in the parts of of our hairy ruminants or woolly ruminants where there's not so much hair or fleece. So in lambs, we're thinking about ears, because you think about lambs' ears, they've only got a very thin covering of hair, so there's not a lot of stuff to block the penetration of sunlight between the hairs and to reach the skin of the ears, and of course, in some breeds, uh, also the face of lambs, and depending on uh, if you're shearing and when they've been shorn, if that uh, just straight off the shears, and uh, this obviously sun can reach all areas of the skin, and. Even in lambs that have got a full fleece on board, even they can be affected by primary photosensitization down the midline of the back and and rump. If, of course, there's a parting of the fleece that allows sun into the skin at the base of that longer fleece. Other less hairy parts of a lamb can also be affected, and this can include the nose, the mouth, and also, bizarrely, the feet of lambs. Now, if you look at the feet of your lambs, or your ewes for that matter, but it's lambs that are the ones that are prone to photosensitization from primary photosensitisation, at the top of the hoof, there's kind of a fleshy but if it doesn't have a lot of hair on on that fleshy part. And it's what we call the coronary band. And sometimes uh, severely affected lambs can actually show signs of photosensitization on that coronary band area and therefore can actually appear lame. Now, unashamedly, this podcast is very much about lambs. But just a shout out here for cattle, because we can also get primary photosensitization in cattle, and the ones most often affected where we visually can see uh, the photosensitisation damage is those with white markings, kind of thinking like uh, Hereford beefies uh, or Hereford uh, First Cross with white faces, white markings across the withers. Uh, and of course, on the dairy side of things, just something for our dairy listeners here, we'll include obviously our Holstein Friesian, uh, Kiwi Friesian, breeds uh, that do have white areas including our kiwi cross cows those that have got white markings so for the white parts uh, of these cattle is where they'll get affected by primary and secondary photosensitization but of course also unpigmented pink areas of the nose also the mouth sometimes we see that affected and of course for lactating cows the pink non-pigmented areas of the udder, including the teats. And this is where we can have real problems We're affected lactating cows, understandably, are not very keen on having the cup supplied at milking and they'll kick and be pretty uncomfortable. So the photosensitization itself, and in terms of what do we see in these affected animals, well, and with a real apologies to Mark Collette here because he's written a good number of scientific papers that go into all of the very detailed, like what happens with photosensitization. So apologies, Mark, um, we're going to be very simplistic terms here, but the most relatable description to give photosensitization in our animals is probably the closest thing to what we experience, which is sunburn. But look, in many cases, primary photosensitisation can be much, much worse than the worst sunburn that you or I have ever experienced in our lives. So if you think your worst ever case of sunburn is pretty bad, then of course we can really start to sympathise and empathise with affected animals because for sure it's seriously painful um, for our sheep or cattle. As mentioned before, uh, photodynamic uh, agents or, or compounds They'll interact with the sun and cause a lot of damage to the skin at these sun-exposed sites of the animal. Remember, and it's same for us as well, particularly those of us with fair skins, we don't even have to have direct sunlight to cause primary photosensitisation. And just as we can still also go out in sort of overcast conditions and still get sunburned uh, without bright sunlight for either our sunburn or the animal's photosensitization to occur. Now, in terms of lambs, I guess in in a broad sense, there's two sort of stages, you know, on a time progression basis to photosensitization. First up, I guess we can call it the acute or sudden phase. Now, this can kick in as soon as 12 to 24 hours after Our lambs eat either weeds or or a forage crop or forage type that contains a photodynamic agent. So that's pretty fast, hey? This acute phase will start off initially, I guess, and again comparing to us initially looking like just a really bad sunburn. Reddened, hot to the touch, um, can be very itchy for the animal. And then over the next few hours or two to three days, that reddening, can get a lot worse, and we end up also with a lot of inflammation or inflammatory change on the ears, on the face, on the coronary bands, wherever it's affected, but especially on the ears. And you can also um, get localized swelling on those ears, the face, the feet. So I guess in a mob of lambs, if you've got 500 lambs out there, quite often the first signs that we see of this acute phase, because we're not able to get really close to them, when the ears get very swollen and so obviously they're red and they're sore but they fill with uh, fluid a lot of inflammatory cells and changes and instead of the lamb's ears sticking out on a normal angle they'll actually just with gravity and the weight of the fluid and the swelling will drop so those ears will drop down and be hanging lower than what uh, they'll normally be so quite often that's what you'll first see unless you just happen to be yarding um, the animals and, and pick up the the more subtle changes of red reddening and kind of itchiness and everything. In dairy cattle with white areas, the again, the, the changes that you can see in that acute phase is that you see thickening of the white but not the black areas. So, for example, if you've got a herringbone and you've got cows running and you're up um, next to the cows, you can actually run your fingers over the black and white areas. And you might start on the black areas and you're just running your fingers very gently along and you'll get to the white non-pigmented patches. And it's like this big thickening. It's like a big step up in, in skin thickness when you go from the black to the white area. And again, as it is with the, the uh, your lambs, that big step I suppose again is due to reddening, swelling, inflammatory change and of course that will be very itchy and and unpleasantly sore for our cattle. Now from animal uh, well-being, from an animal welfare point of view, it's this early or very acute phase of photosensitisation that is the most concerning um, side of things to really put our animals in a fair degree of distress. So if you are seeing signs of primary photosensitization, do please talk with your vet about the approach, uh, what to do, what treatments that may be uh, available and relevant to provide symptomatic relief. And in a more broader, general sense, we'll, we're, at the end of this podcast, we'll talk a little bit more about the steps that you need to take, but... Because these animals are unwell, your first uh, port of call, if you'd like, will be uh, your veterinarian and he or she will be able to give you some good advice on what to do. Over the next sort of few days and weeks after we've had this acute phase of photosensitization that typically has been and gone, the animals will experience a period uh, of recovery where essentially their body will want to try to heal itself. So this is the important thing. Things like uh, the photosensitization that we see on brassicas in our lambs is that even though they remain on the crop, they appear, and we don't understand what is happening, but they appear to adapt or adjust to it in some way and they don't have ongoing damage after that initial acute phase within that sort of 12 to 24 hours out to a few days when they first go onto, in this case, the brassica crop. So if these animals stay on crop, and they will need to be removed if they're clinically affected, but more about that at the end of the podcast. But if you haven't seen these during the first few days on crop, and then perhaps three or four weeks later, you yard them, you run them through to uh, to do a drench, to uh, do start a, a bit of a draft off with your lamb drafter, and you see... Lambs with ears that look like they've, they've been damaged, perhaps the skin uh, is, is peeling a little bit, a little bit of hair peeling off the ears. perhaps there's scarring and healing that's very obvious and perhaps even the the tips of the ears are a bit damaged or even a little bit twisted out of shape. This is the stage of primary photosensitization that I guess we call the recovery mode. The damage, from the uh, photodynamic agent has been and gone. The lambs have adjusted and the the crop is no longer causing damage. So the damage you're seeing has actually been and gone a number of weeks previously. So if you see these signs and the lamb is looking really well, gaining weight, Nice and chock-full in the rumen, not bothered by any other condition, you know, um, such as secondary fly strike or anything. There's probably not a lot more to do with the treatment of lambs with these healed up ears, uh, largely because the damage has been and gone and the lamb is essentially well down the recovery path. That said, clearly if there's secondary fly strike, perhaps, you know, on the the rump or the midline, you know, or anywhere around its head, then of course we're going to do something about that. Or if the ears look like they've started to heal, but they're still quite red and sore looking, then yes, we need to be working on a treatment plan uh, to potentially remove those affected animals from the crop and talk to your vet. So, yeah, it's more about if you see this older damage, the damage has been and gone, But the learning from this is that what we need to do is start to plan ahead uh, as far as preventative planning to stop this condition happening again next year and and hold that thought because we're going to come on to that shortly. So I guess aside from the skin damage, whether it's at that acute phase or in the healing phase several weeks later, what are some of the other things we need to look out for with our animals that are affected by photosensitisation? Well, as mentioned already with lambs, uh, first up, of course, would be fly stripe on affected areas and particularly if they are photosensitised, you know, down the midline uh, and the back. So it's a given um, looking out for fly at at that time of year. As well, uh, in wetter summers, um, for example, what we're experiencing here in New Zealand and also Australia's got a very wet summer happening at the moment, 2022-23 summer, we do also need to look out for a condition called dermatophilosis, which is a uh, secondary skin infection. Uh, that's a dermatophilus, as, as the name might suggest, that sets in and takes advantage of that existing damage from the photosensitization. and typical bacteria. You know, if the skin's not damaged, it's hard for them to get in. But when you get skin damage from photosensitization, these are opportunistic pathogens. They start to grow into that area and uh, start to cause a secondary infection so more likely as we say in a wet summer or if the lambs are grazing like a, a crop such as brassicas that are quite tall and therefore holding a lot of that moisture and the lambs are sort of pushing through that wet crop and they end up permanently wet sort of underneath the canopy of crops that are too tall so that's a risk factor as well. Now, another, um, unintended consequence, I guess, um, if we have some primary photosensitisation is, of course, that understandably, lambs, uh, want to seek out shade. And quite often they'll end up under hedge lines, uh, camping in typical stock camp areas, sort of under macrocarpa trees and the like. And if things are very dusty, then the dust kicked up from un- under these, these stock camp areas, might end up with lambs inhaling a lot of fine dust and combined with the fact that they're probably a bit stressed and feeling a bit miserable will increase risk of pneumonia. So we do need to keep an eye out for that. Now cattle with white areas that are affected by photosensitisation, hey just like lambs, cattle will certainly seek shade uh, and also of course be generally feeling a little bit sad and sorry for themselves. So uh, I guess the main thing here is when we're talking about primary photosensitization cases, either in sheep or cattle, going back to that first comment that with primary photosensitization, there is no, like no liver damage. Repeat, no liver damage with these cases as there are with secondary photosensitization cases, such as like facial eczema. So, on average, without that liver damage, uh, cattle and lambs with primary photosensitization tend not to get quite as sick as they do from having the skin damage as they would if they also had pretty bad liver damage, as is the case with facial eczema. So for these lambs and cattle affected by primary photosensilisation, it's very much about symptomatic treatment and giving these animals anything they need essentially to make them feel better in themselves as they allow some healing with the skin to go on that's sort of the clinical signs what about the behaviour of animals affected by photosensitisation well this is quite often the only signs that we see if you haven't yarded animals um, being grazed in a more extensive situation um, on bigger areas so quite often the first thing we notice is uh, that animals are actually really keen to get out of sunlight and understandably so just as you or I do when we've had bad sunburn the last thing we want to do is go out in the sun again so so these lambs um cattle they'll seek shade and look if shade's not available in a paddock you know understandably they'll hang, they'll hang their heads um try and get under the shade under the bellies of other animals to try and get shade that way particularly lambs with the uh, enlarged ears in the acute phase of primary photosensitization because the photosensitisation is causing a lot of um, reddening and itchiness, um, they'll sometimes kick at affected areas. So lambs will, you know, kick with their with a the back leg. They'll kick up at their heads uh, and their ears, try and scratch on things, you know, um, tree branches, branches or fencing or whatever, and and typically be pretty miserable. Eh? This is why we need to not only plan to prevent this primary photosensitisation condition, but very much. Um, to react quickly, to take in, uh, take care of animals that are already affected. Moving on to part three of our primary photosensitisation podcasts. And this is looking at what are some of the causes of primary photosensitisation. Well, once again, shout out to Mark Collette from Massey University, who I've mentioned before has published some simply amazing scientific papers on the topic of primary photosensitisation. So there's one that comes to mind for those of you who enjoy a really good read around and just message us um, through the room and room if you'd like a copy of this paper. But it's one that Mark published back in 2019 in the Toxicon journal. That's an exceptional review paper about everything you ever wanted to know about primary photosensitization. So we're going to keep this third part of this podcast quite brief and in a kind of overview manner, but we'll just work through some of the examples of crops and weeds that, well pastures as well, that can sometimes cause primary photosensitization. Well look, first up we're going to talk about one that we see in cattle, um, particularly young cattle, dairy, uh, heifers particularly for example, sort of they might be uh, 12 to 14 months of age and it's a condition that we just really loosely call spring eczema on uh, very high quality ryegrass dominant pastures during, as the name suggests, the spring months of the year Um, and if it's older cattle during the spring months uh, in warmer regions of New Zealand, sometimes the spring eczema is actually uh, due to some pre-existing facial eczema damage from back in the autumn. But again, we'll talk a little bit about that in our secondary photosensitisation podcast during early 2023. Now, before we move on to some of the annual crops and perennial forages, what about weeds? Yeah, weeds and photosensitisation. Now, we do have a handful uh, of weeds that we find in New Zealand that do cause primary photosensitisation when our ruminant animals eat these weeds. Now the things that we're thinking about that have been reported in New Zealand include things like um, stalk spill a member of the erodium family and If you get a real heavy infestation of stalkspill as a weed in our new pastures and lambs are unable to graze around and avoid it, like they're heavily stocked and they end up eating it with their grass, that will cause primary photosensitisation if lambs uh, can't avoid eating that stalkspill along with their new grass. And other weeds, we won't go into too much detail, but just to acknowledge uh, St. John's wort as a weed, if it's eaten by ruminant animals, that'll cause primary photosensitization, as will another weed called wild parsnip. So, look, um, in Mark's 2019 paper, there's a really good write up about all of the weed stuff in more detail. Before we move on to crops, here's an interesting one that has been associated with primary photosensitization. In young cattle in New Zealand, and that's a type of forage that's become very popular to be included in some of the more popular regen mixes being used out there nowadays, and that's one called buckwheat. If your regen mix Um, contains perhaps 30 different species, that'll be fine. But if you intentionally or inadvertently end up with a high population of buckwheat relative to other species in your regen mixes, we can end up with primary photosensitisation from your buckwheat. Yeah, regen's cool to a point, just an awareness that uh, not all things that end up in uh, regen mixes are necessarily 100% good for the animal. Perhaps that's a topic of another podcast, another day. In terms of other plant species that are associated or have been reported to be associated with cases of primary photosensitization, and lambs particularly, is some of our favorite species in our temperate pastures. And here's the key one clovers. Yeah. We're talking about white clover, red clover, sub clover, um, you know, drier areas of New Zealand and certainly across parts of Australia and even the annual Persian clovers. Now, there's not a lot of science in terms of strong scientific evidence to link all of those clovers through to primary photosensitisation, but there's certainly been enough anecdotal or field-based evidence to conclude that, yeah. There's there's a link between um, these clovers and photosensitisation in lambs particularly. Now, even good old lucerne, you know, green gold, it's it's an amazing um, lamb feed through the summer months, but there have been cases of photosensitisation that have got no liver damage, primary photosensitisation in lambs that graze lucerne stands. Another forage uh, implicated in cases of primary photosensitisation include another legume, lotus, caniculatus. Also, we've got the medics. And getting away from legumes, there's also Jap millet or Japanese millet that has been associated with cases of primary photosensitisation. So there's a whole raft of species out there. And again, take a look at Mark Collette's paper if you really want to do a deep dive into the detail around that. And of course, we also see cases of primary photosensitisation that sometimes occur in lambs that eat annual forage brassicas, such as forage rape, uh, brassica, and sometimes leafy turnip. And these brassica cases are the ones that we're going to focus on uh, in a greater degree of uh, detail over the, the next two parts of this podcast So look, on on the basis of that, we'll move on to the fourth part of this podcast, and that's going to look at some of the risk factors for primary photosensitisation in our grazing animals. Understanding risk factors mean that we can put potentially in place some prevention strategies. Well, this is where the problem kicks in. For many of the primary photosensitization cases that are associated with all of those range of species that we've just mentioned before, in most cases, we don't even know what The primary um, photodynamic agent is in a lot of these forages, and that's clearly a real pain um, because how do we get a prevention strategy in play if we don't know what's causing it? Very frustrating. But look, luckily for us, for some plant types, we do know what the uh, photodynamic agent is, Um, but in many cases, even if we know that, we don't know why the photosensitization is occurring, which is, is that real pain, eh? So things like going back to spring eczema that we mentioned in cattle with white areas on them that can occur on our lush spring pastures, we do not know what causes primary photosensitization as spring eczema in cattle. Bit of a suspicion. Uh, Mark Collett is, is less sure, but you know, some people think maybe spring eczema is just simply an overload. Of total amounts of chlorophyll being eaten by the animal, and that the poor old animal simply can't excrete that phytoporphyrin, you know, the byproduct of chlorophyll metabolism, um, successfully out. Like the liver's okay in younger cattle, but they just um, can't excrete all that phytoporphyrin out, so too much chlorophyll. And as we mentioned in the case of older cattle, <laughs> if um, certainly in the warmer parts of New Zealand there's some pre existing liver damage from facial eczema in the previous autumn that's likely um, reduced the liver's capacity to excrete that um in the spring, even though the liver damage happened, yeah, like, you know, six months ago back in the autumn. So if you've got old, a lot of older cows with some spring eczema, although we'd say maybe that's primary photosensitisation, ironically we've probably got a mix-up of both secondary and also primary photosensitisation. <sighs> Hmm, what's some other strategies? Well, in the case of weeds, well, you know, if um, we've got stalkspill present through a pasture, well, it's kind of a given really that from a preventative strategy next year, what we obviously want to do is uh, get your rural retail rep involved um, to devise uh, an chem strategy to kind of keep the weeds out of our pastures. Um, and that's obviously going to be our best uh, prevention strategy. Or, you know, if there's a case of your stock of accessed um, weeds that aren't necessarily part of an established crop, you know, the likes of, um, you know, wild parsnip, we obviously want to fence stock out of areas where we know that these weed species might be found or you get stuck in there with a good spray program and, and clean all that out things like buckwheat we mentioned as part of our regen mixes look you know uh, here at the room and podcasts we we won't go into detail about regen mixes but I guess everything in moderation so if buckwheat is your thing just make sure that you've got dilution of buckwheat down with a lot of other components of your regen mixes just so that we don't get animals that are eating a high proportion of their diet as buckwheat uh, because that will increase risk of primary photosensitization Now, coming back to primary photosensitisation that sometimes occurs in lambs on brassica crops. As for many of the other plant species that are associated with primary photosensitisation, we still do not know what causes primary photosensitisation in lambs on our forage rape, um, leafy turnip and raffinobrassica. So because of that, it is a bit of a a mission, I guess, to develop a complete um, prevention strategy when we don't actually know what we're dealing with. That said, we do have a lot of evidence, both anecdotal or field-based evidence, as well as now we've got some really good um, information that's come out of Gemma Box's PhD that do give us some ideas around how to strategize to reduce risk of photosensitisation in lambs that are consuming uh, our summer brassicas. Look, what we'll do here is we're going to check off some of these possible risk factors and then we'll turn our knowledge of risk factors into something of a bit of a prevention strategy for those of you that have had uh, problems with photosensitization in lambs on summer uh, forage brassicas before. So first up, and I'm sure all of you uh, that are in the lamb finishing business where you've used forage brassica crops for finishing lambs, you'll know that all of the different uh, brassica species out there, and then cultivars within species, are defined by a range of maturities, which simply means the approximate number of days after planting when the seeds have gone into the ground, whether that's 70 or 90 or 110 days after planting, that uh, your brassica crops are going to reach maturity and are therefore ready to graze. So the sort of rule of thumb um, here is that it's best to reduce risk of primary photosensitization in your lambs if you don't graze your brassica crops until after the recommended maturity date has been reached for that particular uh, cultivar of that species of brassica. Uh, now, that's obviously about um, you know putting the date in your phone. Perhaps if you've planted twenty third of October, then you'll be able to uh, have a ping in your phone uh, to remind you that you shouldn't be grazing your crop before that date, because. Back in the day, in the terms of um, tracking when these forage rapes, for example, were ready to graze, the older types of forage rapes, and and going back blast from the past, the likes of rangi rape, uh, maxima plus, um, some of those older varieties, we'd we'd typically say back in the day that we'd wait until the crop uh, of forage rape had changed colour So um, purpled off, bronzed off, like gone through a colour change from bright green and actively growing into more of an off colour. And back in the day, that used to be used as like a bit of an indicator that crops um, of brassicas were probably going to be less risky for lambs once that colour change had happened. It was never absolute. Sometimes lambs would still get photosensitisation when the the crop had changed colour, but it used to be quite a good indicator. With our modern forage rapes, you know, and, and our plant breeders have really advanced in terms of getting us some pretty cool new forage rapes uh, in the market nowadays, they can quite often have some kale in their parentage or their background, and because of that, they won't necessarily go through that same colour change that the likes of uh, old old rangy rape used to do back in the day, and they actually stay quite nice green um, looking as a colour, even though they've reached maturity. So really we've got to track that approximate maturity date um, as knowledge of when plants no longer actively growing as quickly and it's starting to slow down once it reaches maturity uh, to reduce risk. Now before we leave this topic of maturity behind, there is one, uh, it's a newer type of uh, brassica called Raphnobrassica. Now that species doesn't actually stop growing it doesn't reach maturity as such it just keeps on growing and therefore it doesn't slow down its growth rate so don't stick around waiting for Brassica to change color it's going to stay the same lush leafy green color as it keeps growing Now, the second risk factor for primary photosensitisation on our forage brassicas is possibly, it's not absolute, but we think in many cases that the use of high rates of nitrogen fertiliser can increase risk of uh, primary photosensitisation. Now, of course, this is where the conundrum or the, the challenge comes, I guess, because, of course, we need... Nitrogen fertilizer to grow ourselves some decent crops, um, get some decent dry matter yields to feed our animals over the summer months. But there is a range of like kind of field based or anecdotal evidence that perhaps lots and lots and lots of nitrogen fertilizer may under some conditions increase risk of primary photosensitisation in lambs that graze forage brassicas. Because we don't know what is causing primary photosensitisation in lambs that graze forage brassicas, it might be just that the nitrogen is keeping the crop healthier and greener, lots of green leaf and the like. So we're not really sure, because we can't test for it, a compound, if you'd like, that um, is causing the primary photosensitisation in lambs that graze forage brassicas. Yeah, feedback is a lot of nitrogen may increase risk under some conditions. Look, that said, Gemma Box's PhD looked specifically um, at the role of nitrogen fertiliser and primary photosensitisation in lambs, and Gemma couldn't define a link between nitrogen use and photosensitisation, um, possibly because there was a heap of plant-available nitrogen in the soil and maybe there was just so much nitrogen already in the soil that the no-nitrogen and the plus-nitrogen treatments plants both had a heap of nitrogen available to them. And on the other hand, a well-known colleague uh, of, of ours at PGG Rights and Seeds, Wayne Nickel did some awesome work a good number of years ago now looking at the use of nitrogen and sulphur fertiliser on forage rape and the risk of photosensitisation in lambs that that graze the forage rape. And Wayne did find an association between nitrogen use and risk of primary photosensitisation in lambs grazing forage rape. So probably if the crop's very hungry for nitrogen, it's not going to grow a lot of bulk. But when we put nitrogen on, we may... Under some conditions, increase risk of primary photosensitisation um, in lambs that graze forage brassicas. So, yeah, it's it's difficult. We do need nitrogen, but under some conditions, uh, particularly dull, overcast conditions, we'll talk about shortly, we may increase risk of photosensitisation. Before we leave this topic of nitrogen behind, there is quite a strong suggestion, again based on farmers um, such as yourselves who are listening. That when we're selecting paddocks for some Nebraska crops, we do need to be careful when we plant some Nebraska crops into the likes of ex lucerne paddocks, where those lucerne plants have been very enthusiastically fixing a huge amount of nitrogen in the soil during the time that that stand's been in the ground, perhaps five to seven years or even longer. Now, when there's a huge amount of plant-available nitrogen in the soil, those crops uh, will certainly grow very well, but that sometimes when we work backwards on why have lambs photosensitised on a brassica crop, quite often the paddock history that it's come out of lucerne um, will explain a greater risk of lambs grazing that crop, perhaps compared to a crop next door that wasn't ex-lucerne, and no lambs had photosensitisation issues. Now, third risk factor for photosensitisation in lambs that graze forage brassicas is one that we don't have a lot of control over. And that's when we get awful, dull, overcast weather conditions in the days and weeks leading up to when lambs first um, transition onto a forage brassica crop. So we're kind of thinking like the type of seasons where we get a heap of rain and dull days maybe leading up to Christmas. And then suddenly the tap turns off and the sun comes out and we get all that hot, sunny weather um, that's coinciding with your lambs going on to a brassica crop for the first time. These wet, dull conditions or overcast conditions and then sudden sunshine seems to match up with a greater risk of primary photosensitization on forage brassica crops. Now in terms of why, don't know, because we can't test for a compound that we don't know what it is that's causing the photosensitization, But again, Maybe those weather conditions encourage the brassica crops to remain amazingly healthy and lush and green as, and maybe that's a risk factor. Maybe otherwise those dull overcast conditions, maybe the, you know, if we think maybe too much chlorophyll is the problem, maybe under dull weather those plants pump out more chlorophyll because chlorophyll is associated with photosynthesis and the plants are trying to photosynthesise as much uh, in the dull conditions as they can and they produce more chlorophyll. Maybe that's part of it. I do not know. But look, at the end of the day, just a big heads up, we need to be extra vigilant for primary photosensitisation in lambs grazing forage brassicas when we've had a long period of dull weather during early summer and then suddenly the sun comes out and it's hot and sunny and lambs are transitioning from pasture on to uh, our forage brassica crops. Now, a fourth big risk factor for primary photosensitization on brassica crops is when we drop lambs onto a crop and the stocking rate's just a little bit too low. You know, like what I mean by that is like, there's not enough lambs to quickly start breaking into the canopy of a forage brassica crop, and this seems to be a big risk factor for lambs getting photosensitized. Primary photosensitization, because if you watch these lambs, what they'll do is they'll just cruise through the crop, they'll nibble it off in just the green part of the brassica plants, so they won't actually chomp into the pale green or almost white, um, what we call a petiole, or the centre part of the leaf that goes down where petiole ultimately attaches to the stem. The science is lacking to absolutely define this, but we do reckon that whatever is causing photosensitisation in lambs on brassicas, it seems to be in the leaf and not so much in that petiole or the stem or or the small bulb in the case of a little bulby part on um, leafy turnips, for example. So yeah, if you're seeing lambs cruising through a green leafy brassica crop and they're just nibbling at leaf, they're not eating any petiole, we think that that's an increased risk of photosensitization in those leaf nibbling lambs. And certainly... um, Gemma Box's um, PhD work found that laxly grazed or understocked lambs on forage brassicas was an important risk factor for primary photosensitisation. To help prevent lambs doing that that nibbling leaf of the margins of brassica plants, it's a much better idea to get our stocking rate absolutely right. So what we're thinking of here is to actually dry matter yield your summer forage brassica crops so you can get that stocking rate right can hammer that crop so the lambs break into that top of the canopy and start eating leaf and petiole combined and stopping that leaf nibbling. Now we mentioned before, raphnobrassica doesn't reach maturity, it just simply keeps growing and because it's growing under the feet of lambs, in front of the lambs, it's really important to stock brassica at a much higher stocking rate than we would for a standard leafy turnip or forage rape. Now, that high stocking rate, the aim of it is to force lambs to quickly break through the crop canopy and to get them to start eating petiole and stop leaf nibbling thing. And once lambs learn to eat petiole, they seem to like it. And once they're eating petiole and leaf, the risk of photosensitization is much reduced, which has to be a good thing, eh? Now, coming back to um, Gemma Box's PhD work, as we mentioned, she found understocking lambs was an important. Um, risk factor, like just laxly stocking was going to cause more primary photosensitisation. And what she did was to look at not only stocking rate, but looking at other practical strategies to reduce risk of photosensitisation in lambs. So what she did, she took some of this raffinobrassica, you know, the crop that keeps on growing, and she mowed it or slashed it down to... probably about 20 to 25 centimetres in height. And what that mowing just a few days before the lambs went onto the crop did was not only taking some of the leaf out, but it also exposed the petiole part of the plant. And overall, this mowing strategy reduced the risk of leaf nibbling by lambs. And it's effectively, she saw pretty well no uh, photosensitisation of lambs grazing that mowing crop compared to the to the low stocking rate treatment where there was a lot of primary photosensitization. We're just pointing out here, mowing is not about mowing the whole area of brassica um, that you've got in front of your lambs waiting for them. Definitely not. Don't mow the whole lot. What we're saying in the take home from Gemma's work is consider with your raffino brassica mowing a small proportion of the crop where the lambs are maybe going to spend maybe the first week on crop because once they eat that mowing area, they've learned to eat PTO they're less likely to leaf nibble and or they've adjusted or whatever on earth is going on, we don't really understand. And so it's just mowing the first week, and then after that, uh, the risk of primary photosensitization should be greatly reduced in the subsequent areas of non-mowing area that they go on to. So just a, a, um, this is for Raphnobrassica, but in a high-risk situation, you could do this for forage rape or leafy turnip. Uh, as well. So the mowing in Gemma's case, as we say, was 20 to 25 centimetres in height and not mowing it right down to the dirt because we don't want to go killing plants or wasting too much crop. The aim of it is just to open the canopy up and encourage lambs to eat PDL, not just leaf on its own. And just one more final word about uh, mowing in front of the lambs is that we still need to consider that higher stocking rate that we've already spoken of. So if you do mow in front and yet there's still a very, very low stocking rate, you may still see cases of photosensitization in lambs grazing that forage brassica if there's still a lot of leaf that they still can get away with a bit of that leaf margin nibbling, um, even though a lot of the crop um, has been mown and it's on the ground. So yeah, it's a high stocking rate combined with that mowing to 20, 25 centimetres post mowing. So look, if if you're, I've just horrified you with this mowing thing and you're going, no way, Charlotte, no way. Um, if it's just too crazy and, and out there idea for you, We've also um, looked at some other variations on that mowing theme to consider that <laughs> might sit a little bit better with you if the mowing's too too far out there. So other ideas might be if you've got a whole lot of um, works use, you know, that that maybe they've um, had singles at foot and the, and the singles have gone, and you've got a mob of, of ewes that are going to be going to the works. You could always push them through um, the first week of uh, or first block of brassica with the aim of those ewes just picking at leaf. or or knocking it to the ground or whatever but again reducing the amount of leaf for lambs to be able to nibble and then push those ewes through, just a big mob if you've got them, get rid of them and then follow through with the lambs who uh, because the ewes have eaten tracks through the crop if it's quite tall, it's handy to help them find troughs and things as well and the lambs are more likely then to to eat PDO and not just do that leaf nibbling I suppose so yeah, that's one option with ewes if you've not Yet got a or a lot or or, or any use spare. Another idea is to, hopefully, if you can set up a fence that the lambs are going to respect, is to actually set up a relatively small break of your forage brassica, so that you can put lambs into quite a small break, in other words a very high stocking rate, so that within a day or two of starting on that brassica, that high stocking rate has got them through that leaf nibbling phase really, really fast and they've broken into the crop, they've learnt to eat pediol and that leaf canopy has been opened up, so if you're standing in this opened up area, you can actually see your feet, boots on the ground and you haven't got like full canopy closure over your feet. Once you can see your feet whatever means to make your feet be seen through the canopy of the crop seems to be useful to reduce risk of primary photosensitisation. I guess never say never with any of these strategies. In high risk situations, a lot of nitrogen, dull overcast conditions and that... It may be difficult to get to zero photosensitisation, but what we're hoping is through some of those strategies from Gemma's PhD will hopefully reduce the proportion of lambs um, leaf nibbling and roaming over a big area over the first few days and and get the numbers down even if not to zero. Another way that some people swear works really well to reduce risk of primary photosensitisation on forage brassicas is On off grazing the lambs for the first few days. So, like what we mean by that is by having getting the lambs and they've got a big full belly full of good quality grass uh, in the morning, and then maybe let them access the brassica crops just for a couple or three hours, and then take them off again to pasture sort of overnight, and then repeating that daily for the first few weeks, and then repeating that daily um, just for the first few days before locking the lambs onto the forage brassica, you know, full time. Now, we're not sure why this might work for some people. It doesn't work for all. Maybe just the lambs aren't as hungry, so they don't do that crazy fast leaf nibbling. I, I don't know. But whatever, it does work, you know, for some people, and that's great. There's probably just one caution here about on off grazing, aside from, from the time needed to run lambs on and off, is that We don't want to stress lambs doing this, you know, so if you're using dogs each time and and they're a bit noisy and and a bit nippy and if the weather conditions are quite hot, we don't want to do any sort of ongoing stress on the lambs with associated risk of pneumonia specifically. So, yeah, it's, it's a pick and choose strategy, that one. See what you reckon. Well, you'll be pleased to know it's been a long podcast that we're moving on to the fifth and final part of this primary photosensitisation podcast. And this, as we'd mentioned, is about what to do if you see primary photosensitisation in your lambs. It might be that you've not yarded them, but from afar that you can see that some have got those droopy ears um, with a swelling. And... Or possibly that you've picked some up as you've, you've brought them through the yards. As I've already mentioned, you know, podcasts, hey, podcasts should never replace the need to talk to your own vet. And we'll stress that point once again. Not only will your vet be able to as- assist you and your stock with a range of medications to improve the well-being of affected animals, so pain relief, a range of different drugs that can slow down the inflammatory reaction, um, topical treatments or whatever. Well worth talking to your vet. And... If you are in an area where you get facial eczema, it'll be important for your vet to work with you to potentially take some blood samples from some of your affected animals and check for levels of liver enzymes. So you might have heard of these as GGT, GDH, or some people call it GLDH. And if the levels of those liver enzymes are normal, that will tell you that you're probably dealing with a primary photosensitization with healthy livers. On the other hand, if those liver enzyme levels are elevated, they're high, that means it's more likely that you've got a secondary photosensitization due to something specifically like facial eczema. If you're in a facial eczema-prone area where you get sporidesma and toxicity. Because the problem with these skin changes that the, um, that we've described is that that looks identical for both cases of primary and secondary photosensitisation. So the only way to figure out what's going on is to involve your vet and he or she will run those blood samples for you and therefore be able to say whether you should be um, using zinc, for example, for prevention of facial eczema, sporadism and toxicity, or grazing management and other ideas because zinc will not have any effect on preventing primary photosensilisation, whereas zinc will be very good for managing secondary photosensitization cases. Right, well, apart from the vet involvement, any other things that we need to be thinking about? First up, if your lambs are in that acute phase of photosensilisation, you know, the droopy, swollen ears, swollen face, we need to take those affected animals with the swelling and the photosensilisation off whatever type of forage they're on, whether that be lucerne, clover, brassicas or whatever. So again, do what your vet says to do, but we feel that if lambs have been on the crop for a number of days that you do need to draft off the affected lambs. Now the question always arises, Okay, you know, we've taken five or six lambs off and and we're going to pop them under somewhere nice and shady and away from whatever the forage type or weeds um, they've eaten that's made them photosensitized. What do we do with the healthy lambs that look absolutely fine? Well, look, it's always a, a little bit tricky, but what we'd suggest that if after perhaps five to seven days on crop, the lambs that are not photosensitized are probably going to be okay, and particularly this is true for forage brassicas. Once they've been on five to seven days, the remaining unaffected animals are very unlikely to now go on and get swollen ears. So if you take off the affected animals and pop them somewhere nice and cool on non-forage crop, uh, then the remaining ones are probably going to be okay but needless to say keep your binoculars in the ute and just keep an eye on them but as a rule they shouldn't continue to be photosensitized on forage brassicas. Assuming you've had your vet out and he or she's uh, giving you some treatments for affected animals in a holistic sense I suppose and from a symptomatic point of view your affected lambs with the swollen ears, swollen faces will really enjoy some, some quiet, um, chill time under trees, uh, where there's a lovely pick of, um, uh, nice, um, grass pasture, leafy grass with access to fresh, clean stock water. You will need to watch them over next, um, next coming days and couple of weeks just for a secondary fly strike. You know, the dermatophilus issue if conditions have been wet or any other sort of stress-mediated uh, issues such as pneumonia. So that's if you have acute cases of primary photosensitisation. We're talking specifically about forage brassicas. What about, on the other hand, uh, the other extreme, what if you run lambs through the yards oh, maybe four weeks, five weeks, after the lambs started onto a forage brassica crop in the summer? And you see not so much the swelling and red swollen ears, but on the other hand, you see more of a chronic healed lesions on their ears or perhaps around their eyes. Where healing's well underway, perhaps with some hair loss from the ears, but there's healthy pink um, scar tissue. Maybe there's a little bit of damage to the to the tips of the ears, the cartilage. But the lambs are looking full in the gut, healthy if EID or you're just weighing you see that they've gained weight really well. Look, by all means, you can remove these from the crop, particularly if the ears looked healed, but they're still a bit red and sore. But if the lambs are looking great, um, they're well into the 40-something kilos, and they're, they're really huge, chances are they've already adapted to that forage brassica crop, and they're not going to have ongoing acute damage. They're probably going to be okay to leave on crop. However... If you haven't seen this condition before or you have any concerns, please do seek advice about leaving them on the crop or taking them off the crop with your own vet and you know just trust your own gut feel. But to reiterate, to, to remind um, this key point, if the ears are fat and swollen um, and hanging down low and the face is swollen, definitely remove those acute cases from the crop. But if there's chronically affected lambs where the healing is, is all finished and been and gone, yeah, you can potentially leave them on the crop. Well, team, that was a particularly long podcast this time. Um, I hope you've managed to hang in there with us for the whole thing. Or perhaps, and fair enough too, um, you've jumped in and out and just grabbed a couple of, of the sections. Or maybe you've uh, listened to it two to three bites over a longer period of time. Hey, either way, hope that uh, you've found some of this topic around primary photosensitisation of interest to you. It's a little bit of a specialised topic, this one, given not all of you will necessarily have seen primary photosensitisation, but our philosophy is, is if it's been useful to someone that has had to deal with primary photosensitisation, uh, hope that's been of use to you. But look, as always, head back to the and Room, room uh, if you'd like to put a post up about primary photosensitization or direct message myself, Charlotte Westwood, through Facebook or just whatever. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. But in the meantime, look, any more information about all things to do with uh, ruminant nutrition or a little bit of health stuff occasionally, as, as has been the case with this latest podcast, or just any tips and tricks, anything to do with lamb finishing that you'd like to tell us about, do head over to Facebook, search up the Room Room Facebook group and do feel free to join into our uh, wider ruminant nutrition community on Facebook there. But in the meantime, thanks so much again for joining us for this latest podcast. This has been Charlotte Westwood uh, and on behalf of myself and of course our, our ever loyal sponsors, PGG Rights and Seeds, hope that you have an awesome day out and about whatever you're doing and we look forward to you Joining us again very soon for podcast number 23 that will be happening in early 2023. In the meantime, take care. Cheers.